and we are live. Welcome to our first episode of the Digi Switch podcast, your one-stop shop for all latest developments on the South African and international ultimate front. We aim to catch you up on news regarding tournaments and leagues, worth the releases, rant about gear and dodgy travel calls. We, uh, we host engaging interviews with the MVPs on and off the field, locally and internationally, from the arena of ultimate. This Switch podcast is hosted by Dylan, that guy, um, and Cornet, which is present, um, both of whom have this t-shirt tans to back up the ultimate validity, as you can see. Um, our handle on the Instagram is so dishy underscore switch. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing. Hit the subscribe button down below and the notification bell icon. So when we post new episodes, you are notified and you can catch up in the next one. Um, with that, pleasantries done. I'm, I'm switching to Dylan for the news. Hey everyone. Um, we want to start with everything that's cancelled. <laughs> um, Locally, the only thing we could do this year really is we had about four four weeks of league and then regionals. Uh, Joburg regionals, Scaffold won that uh, pretty convincingly. From what I heard, the highest score anyone got against them was four. Uh, in Cape Town region, <laughs> yeah, four, it's surprising, isn't it? <laughs> um, then in the Cape Town region, Chile Heat won um, quite a contested final against UCT Firsts. Um, in the Eastern region, it was Wild Coast that won, um, kind of a developed de development team that grew up recently. Um, they've actually won two years in a row now. And finally in KZN, the Donkeys of course won, and look, I think the highest got, they got scored against them was three. Um, yeah, quite, quite, quite contested regionals, very quickly halted by COVID. Um, and yeah, everything since then has, has been switched off. What do you have to say about that, Corn? Well, using the power of deduction, you have to assume from that that it would be Billy Heat, the Donkeys, Skyfeld, and what you said, Dream won the, the Eastern. No, that was Coast uh, Wild Coast. Wild Coast, sorry, yeah. Wild Coast won the, the Eastern Cape one. Those four would be in the semi final of Nationals. Technically speaking, I mean that would that would definitely be the hope. Whether or not I mean they would. And from that, what do you think would have happened? Well, it always depends on who drew who. But <laughs> making assumption that the donkeys probably get to the final, considering their form the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say donkeys. Donkeys in the final there. Um, yeah. So heat or or Wild um, Coast really, or Skyfall. The really contested match there would be. Heat versus Scarborough. I would, I would hope that to be a semi-final because that would be a definitely a very potent semi-final. That's basically UCT versus ECT kind of in the background there with kind of how those teams were built up this last year. Um, yeah. Look, it would have been a very entertaining one to play, given that I'm part of Trinity Heat. Um, and the rivalry was starting to build. Uh, lots of lots of Scarborough players are messaging me almost weekly. Telling me how they're going to kick our ass. <laughs> no, no, pun, no pun intended, of course. <laughs> yeah. So, for those who don't know, um, UCT, the University of Cape Town, is one of the, or probably the largest feeder club of talent in South Africa. It's one of the major universities in Africa. I think it's the largest one, actually. Um, they have 
three teams uh, they have a fantastic development structure and many of their alumni have fed into Skyfeld which is uh, a team from the Johannesburg area in Kauteng and Chile Heat who is based in Pineland in, in Cape Town so what Dill is referring to there is essentially a lot of ex UCT players so UCT alumni and a lot of these players have been to Worlds and played U24 in 2015 um, and 2019 and um went to WGC in 2016 and WCC in 2018. Yeah. So really, really strong teams um, trying to topple over defending champs, the Long Donkeys, yeah. who are, but they've won three in a row. How many have they won? And it's just 18 and yeah, two. It's, yeah, they, they didn't, unfortunately, they didn't go to the one grand stand, which I believe. Oh, yeah, that's true. So they actually, their, their streak was broken by that. Um, actually, no, UCT won. You guys picked them in 17, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, so it was 2017, 2018, they didn't win, and then 2019, they came back and won it in Cape Town. Um, I'm pretty sure they wanted to do it in Joburg again. Um, on that on that note of, you know, Ultimate in South Africa, uh, I recently asked around and to see who's currently playing. So, uh, Cape Town Ultimate started about two months ago, playing pickup every Monday and Wednesday. Um, I checked in with um, Joburg Ultimate as well, and it seems like they've been playing casually for the last two months or so as well. Uh, I heard in a few matches where Scapa played some like get-togethers. Um, then Durban Ultimate has been playing uh, for the last two months. They had like a temperature gun when they start and all that. Uh, Donkeys, <laughs> they started before everyone else, uh, just with the warning of you know if you're coming to Ultimate, you know. You must be okay with the risk of getting COVID, um, and you know I'm pretty sure that's that's how it is with everyone. And from what I've seen on Instagram, Eastern Cape has also recently started, um, just once a week, kind of having fun together. I saw the interview function; they all dressed up together and played some ultimate. So it's cool to see that everything is kind of you know getting off the ground again. People mostly being safe in what they're doing. Um, you know, I mean, anytime that you go play sport, uh, there's a level of risk. But yeah, it's sick to see that people have just started playing pick up and getting back into it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, we have a, for our competitive Frisbee, we have a regionals and the nationals in the mixed division. For us, um, mixed is our largest division. So we have mixed for the first half of the year and then the segregated divisions in the second half um, with a little lull in the beginning of the year to make space for Worlds campaigns. Um, or whatever international campaigns like the Winmore or something like that as well, um, or, or Africa. Um, so this year we were all looking forward to playing regionals um, and then nationals, which is normally like end of April, beginning May, and then going to Wales in July. Um, with developments, obviously that didn't happen. We most of us got to play regionals and then things started to slow down. So it's really encouraging to see everyone come out of the disappointment of missing mixed nationals international stuff and the segregated divisions and seeing the familiar faces in the community again. Um, obviously everyone is still a little worried with developments, um, with the second wave being obviously pertinent and headline news is where things are. For us in the Southern Hemisphere, it's, it's summer holidays anyway, so no one is really around, everyone is away. Um, so we'll see, see what the developments are when we come back. Um, so our leagues generally start end of January, early Feb, and we'll see where we are there. But these are really encouraging. It's nice to see that everyone has their heads up. That was definitely quite weird coming back to Ultimate after six months. 
and try to throw things that I used to throw, you know, during season, and it just flops straight away. <laughs> yeah, and and and, and Cape Town is compounded because we have this crap southeaster wind in summer, which just never ceases. Um, so while you're still trying to figure out your throws again, the wind just makes you look like you've never thrown a disc. Um, Definitely. While all your, all your friends are watching you play. <laughs> so, <laughs> I remember, it's been, yeah. I remember getting to that first session after and people, you know, invited everyone. And all of us were so unfit. We just started playing and no one wanted to stop it at the same time. No one could breathe. <laughs> it was quite a funny experience. Um, combined that with people basically rocked up and just started playing without warming up after six months of not playing frisbee. And I told yeah. one of our, you know, one of the top players, Rock, I was like, hey man, look, I'm going to take the first few points and jog around, you know, get warm. And I'm marking him and he just bolts. I'm like, well, so much for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, things are, things are getting a bit more organized now. A few teams have started practicing a little bit, but next year, just, you know, getting back into the swing of things. I mean, not doing exercise for six months and just diving straight back into it is probably not the greatest idea. So yeah, mm -hmm. quite a few started their strength, you know, the, the world's teams have kind of jumped back into it as well. Um, but, you know, I think that's the, the perfect segue to go into international, you know, with our world's team going to WGC, that's now been moved a year back. Um, so that's coming up in 2021 with both badges and mumbers committing to the tournament currently. Um, and very surprisingly, under 24 wasn't moved, and that's also going to be in 2021. Um, and combined with that, it's the qualifications for WCC. Um, so, look, a lot is happening next year with a lot of uncertainty. Um, what is your take on that? I think you summarize it perfectly. Um, for those of us who are part of the WC campaign, um, I mean, our focus is on that for now and has been with the preseason starting in November with the Honey Badgers, which is the African mixed team. And I know the Mambas, which is the, the men's team, the women's team. It's also been doing preseason to get everyone ready to uh, up the ante with their training in early January with proposed trials to fill in roster spots in January. Um, but it's difficult not to get distracted by the possibility of sending players to WGC or U24 tournament and obviously still doing really well at the club championships, uh, making assumption that they happen because um, for us, you need to win the nationals in your division to have an opportunity to go to Worlds in 2022 at WCC. So the pressure is on in every, in every way. Um, you want to do well in representing your country, but you also want to do well at club level to make sure that you continue your program, your club program's progression at your competitive team um, to go for WCC. Um, we haven't heard much about WCC um, from WFDF, um making assumption that things are going to keep to normal calendar. Um, but as things stand, there are three, three major happenings in terms of Worlds tournaments in, in 2021. Um, and a week away almost, which is crazy. And um, I I just thought about it. I haven't looked into beach at all, so I don't know what's going on with beach. Um, yeah. But it looks like to compensate for the lack of frisbee this year, we're going to have a lot of frisbee potentially next year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my poor body. 
Do you know when Mole's been cancelled for next year? Oh uh, yes, of course. Uh, do you think um, it's cancelled because of WGC? The fact that it's basically the same time? Or do you think it's cancelled because of COVID reasons? I'm, I'm going to have to speculate. And it wouldn't make sense that it's cancelled for WGC because it's a month, the month before, uh, generally. So it's normally Windmill, which is one of the largest tournaments in Europe, is um, normally in June. And I mean, if you're um, European team, you would want to use that tournament as a as a warm up tournament or a preparation tournament for WGC. So I, I imagine that didn't factor into the thinking. But um, I mean, as, yeah, if the same as COVID, I haven't read the articles and, and researched it properly. I mean, what would have been cool, but very unrealistic for us, is to go a month early, go play one more, then have a two week holiday. And then go play Worlds. <laughs> would have been we would have needed a longer weekend considering that Worlds has moved. WGC has been moved to the last week of July, so we do camp at um, Windmill, so we could just not leave, just stay there. Um, <laughs> yeah, just camp for a month in Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, just you know, some in some hideout in some corner. Um, for a month and then just travel up country to Leeuwarden where which is in the North Netherlands to uh, play WGC. So that would have been an option which obviously has been spoiled for us. Um, so now <laughs> we need to think of something else. <laughs> I mean the other one that's been cancelled is Masters. Uh, yeah. Kind of sad um, but does allow for a few more players to go on the other campaigns while some people pulled out. But yeah I mean definitely I mean that was only going to happen in what September or August? Um, yeah. Sounds about right. Surprising that they that they cancelled that, and that we, you know, are still kind of hoping for WGC. I guess that's slightly because of you know the age factor. I'm not saying everyone there is old. I'm just saying that everyone is slightly older than us. <laughs> um, they're the same age. Yeah, that, well, that my mind is. I think a major consideration there is that Australia has officially closed their borders until the end of oh, next year. Yes, of course. Um. So even if they wanted to host it, um, no one can come um, because no one can get into the country. I mean, um, I'm not sure if that win. has changed in the meantime. Yeah, you would hope so. Um, um, but um, yeah, so at this point in time, Masters has been cancelled, which is a pity. Um, I know from Mixed Masters team, it, it would have been a very interesting campaign because it was a nice confluence of very experienced Masters players who've been part of the game for some of them 20 years in South Africa, which is a big deal here. Um, and newer Masters players, people who have just come of age in the Masters division um, and bring a different style of play and a different tempo and that kind of thing. So I was actually really excited for the Masters campaign to see what they do. I mean, um, we definitely have quite a different Masters team than most others where like our Masters range is from when you come of age to like 50 something. Um, yeah. So it's like different to most countries where those people, a lot of those people would have been grandmasters. Um, and just to see how they would compete against people, you know, you're not playing in the open division where people are, you know, between the age of like 24 and 30. Um, now you're playing against people that are, you know, just coming into the, the city. Um, and would have seen, would have been cool to see like the difference in potentially athleticism and um, you know, ability, but at the same time, using your experience correctly would have been, you know, a very different way of playing. I agree with you. I mean, mentioning the 
the top part of the age group for, for our master's team, I don't remember being a good Alexander was on the master's team, who was a gent in his 50s and an absolute legend in our game in South Africa. I mean, he's been to, I don't even know how many world championships. I mean, all that experience counts. He is a really good athlete as well. Um, but I'm very sure he has the experience and the guile to make sure that he still gets the separation he needs to get on offense and uh, make sure the offensive player doesn't get too much separation when he's on defense. Um, and yeah, that's a, that's a real pity. I was really looking forward to that campaign. Especially seeing it was supposed to be after WGC, so we actually would have had a chance to follow yeah. opposed to 2016 when Masters happened at the same time as WGC. And yeah, we basically couldn't watch each other because um, we were always playing um, almost at the same time. Um, the so the Masters men's team being a 2016 team. Those are some games that I really wanted to watch because just seeing Darren play against people that are considerably younger than him and beat him just running away and losing his heart would have been incredible to see. Um, I'm quite sad to miss quite a few of those matches. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, Darren Holcomb um, being a 2012 Mambas, so men's open, yeah, I think it's open again now, division. Um, player went to Wales in Japan um, and played WGC with the men's masters team. Uh, he's a 6'5", 6'6", throws a thumber. Um, and, and incredible, incredibly accurate thumber as well. Yeah. Um, and good in all conditions. It's only um, ever been hand-locked once, I believe. Yes, that's what, that's what we've been told. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I wish I would have watched more of that too, because again, that was a nice mix of um, what is the Long Donkeys, which is the eastern part of the country um, in South Africa's major team, the, the defending national champs, and a lot of players from the rest of the country, some from Joburg, some from Cape Town. Um, and I do regret that I didn't get to see a friend of mine, Henry's layout, Callahan, which I would have loved to have seen. Um, which now is just you know, local folklore um, because no one's really seen it except some artists play. But, but we were busy. So, I mean, the, the question that really comes up now is like, how does South African Ultimate deal with the complexity of having all of this next year while trying to deal with COVID? I mean, we know that we have less control over WGC, um, given by the fact that we can only go if, you know, they say that we can go. And then on top of that, we can only go if, like, our environment kind of allows us to. But them going forward with under 24 just means that there's potential under-24s in our team that might be pulled over to that, or is South Africa even going to send an under-24 team? Is it kind of too late and we've committed to these other campaigns, which means that, you know, we shouldn't commit to the under-24 campaign? I agree with you, all of them, really good points. Um, and it's so difficult to not just purely speculate at this point in time. Um, do we have the player base? Senate under 24s team, we generally, I think we only have a bid for the open, uh, I beg your pardon, the mixed division for U24. Technically, yes. Um, the pressures of financially of the last year is difficult to know at this point in time because we just haven't seen players um, and you know, had the opportunity to chat to them. It would be bizarre for U24 to happen if UWDC doesn't happen. Um, because I would imagine that UWC, the WGC would have not happened because of um, concerns regarding 
players' health and traveling and those kind of things. And those things pertain to U24 as well. Um, I mean, if worst comes to worst, this is going to be a WCC qualifying year uh, for most of us. I mean, if, if leagues and stuff happen, right? I've played in, in Dublin before. That's why under 24 is going to happen. And I can say that it's not necessarily the most fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, not having it there, I mean, very sad that it's not happening or potentially not happening. But also, still playing in that much rain and mud uh, <laughs> is not the most fun in the world. Um, when you're just trying to get your cleats out of the ground. <laughs> Um, did you play juniors? Yeah, so I played juniors there, and back when I went, um, they were huddling underneath a tree, and the tree fell on them. Um, oh my goodness! <laughs> so from then on, the rest of the tournament was kind of just like, a, "Hey guys, where are we going to huddle?" And some some guy would be like, "Let's huddle huddle underneath the tree so we get some shelter." And everyone was like, "No, no more trees." <laughs> um, so yeah, that was quite an interesting thing to happen. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's a sick place to have it. Uh, Ireland's a, like a lovely place to go. Um, just flip that rain. <laughs> the, the jokes about it are very true. It just doesn't stop. Yeah, and I mean, for us as South Africans, we don't need a visa to go there, which helps. Yeah. Um, rain seems to be thing something that affects World's tournaments. Leco in 2014 in Italy uh, was also badly affected by rain. At the WGC, um, yeah, the WCC that happened there in 2014. Um, in Finn who's a, a former major player in our community, always tells the story of an opponent, female player who made a cut, ran into a puddle, and she got to the other side, the cleat was still in the puddle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just got devoured by the mud. I mean, it's, sorry, I, mean, I was in... next with the, the using helicopters to dry the field. That was amazing. <laughs> I, I was talking about the, the WGC in London 2060, the one that yeah. has been opened. Um, that also was rained out. Uh, quite a few of our yeah, we missed that day, right? yeah. And that last game that we played was basically, are you playing on the left side of the field or the right side of the field? Because you can't play in the middle. Um, was was that the game against the, the field that was at a, an, an angle? Yeah, that, um, was, that was an angle field. The very field. top? Yeah, angle field yeah. in Denmark. Uh, very interesting because when yeah. you're in the middle of the field you could do nothing um, yeah. plus you were throwing uphill so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so everything was stacked against you um, and there was i remember there was because there was a, a dirt road right because there was a fence there, there was a dirt road right next to it and there was a manure truck that would drive up and down. <laughs> so every like 15 minutes, you had to like hold your breath for a while so the manure truck would get past. And then you I'm can just, focus on playing Frisbee again. Just making a cut and then you stop because time out. <laughs> yeah, time out. <laughs> Wait for it to pass you, okay, game back on. Equipment, um, equipment cool. Kind of while speaking about, you know, international things, I know it's exceptionally difficult in the South African context, but I went to do some research on what other places are doing while I couldn't find a lot of information, I found a little bit about um, Canadian Ultimate and just mm. some of the rules and some of the changes that they've made. So, of course, you know, with COVID being quite bad in kind of the States and actually don't know how bad it is in Canada, um, some of the things that they changed is at 
all times to the best of your ability stay two meters away from people which of course would be interesting when you're jumping against someone i don't think you can there yeah excuse me but what they're referring to there i think is you know when marking someone when being off field um you know not when you're running to try and catch the frisbee um sorry about that noise um and the kind of especially difficult part there um is you can't be within two meters of the person that's has the disc in hand um so that the way the way that they try to change that is then they change the store from 10 to 8. okay um so i mean makes sense they, they they came up with some ways to like you know change the game to not force you to be kind of as close to people um of course this is for like you know more of their friendly leagues i don't think they have any competitive leagues going on at the moment um but it's just the way that they that they try to go against it um yeah they also changed the the length of the games now they just have two 40 minute halves instead of um like a full game well you get to play frisbee right that is that is the advantage oh. there uh it makes you... sense in, i'm actually just checking the stats here canada is um Lower down in the world, I can't I call them rankings, but um, the stats regarding COVID um, is, is not as intense as um, the neighbors to the south. Um, oh. So I'm not sure if that factors into this at all. Um, but they, I mean, they well into their winter right now. Um, oh. So I'm not sure how much outdoor frisbee is happening. So they, they have actually changed indoor as well. I just didn't bring it up okay. was completely. I actually forgot that it's going through there. Um, but on that as well, if you, I mean, of course, like American Ultimate is uh, quite a bit more, I would say more competitive than South African Ultimate. <laughs> um, and people generally win there a little bit as well. You know, when you go to Worlds, you're aiming for top four. <laughs> um, but uh, of course, people don't want to stop there. So they've had to come up with a few kind of new games that you can play that's going to keep you safe while allowing you to play you know then your only worry is really yeah. the sanitizing the disc um to make sure that you know you're keeping it as clean as possible and one of the kind of resources that i found was something called lane ultimate which is basically you create two meter lanes uh and then in that you have a whole field so you know, explained that poorly <laughs> so you have you have two end zones like no ultimate and then your field is broken up into two meter lanes. Um, your central zone. Yeah, your central zone. Thank you. Um, and then in that you alternate O and B. So with that, you're not allowed to leave your your kind of lane that you're in, which means that the person that you're marking is always a distance away from you. It's a quite a quite a clever way to make sure that you can still play ultimate in a kind of non-conventional way, but you're still getting that running, the just touching. Um, you can throw hucks to people you know, across the field. Um, if you're accurate enough, you can put it far into someone's lane so that someone else can't compete against it. Um, we'll put the link in the bio so that you can read it yourself. Um, but it's just a way to kind of allow you to play as proper ultimate as you can while keeping you as safe as you can. Yeah, it looks like a, I have it on the, the other screen here. It looks like an athletics track. It's like subdivided into seven like running lanes. Um, the width of the field which is 37 meters um so yeah 
use your calculator there. The, the only concern I have is on this picture I see is that they haven't divided the end zone. Um, I'm not sure if, if the end zone is also supposed to be divided into seven lanes or if that, is, if that is just where. I assume it would be. Otherwise, it would kind of defeat the purpose. I mean, let's be, yes, exactly. Let's, let's be safe until we have the score, and then we don't care anymore. It's competitive. Yeah, I haven't thought that. <laughs> um, but the one thing about it is we're always outnumbered in terms of defense. So there's probably going to be some interesting ways in terms of you have to decide do you want to mark the person with the disc. That's going to be quite difficult. I mean, you're standing away from them, or do you mark all the people making piston cuts all the time? Um, yeah. I mean. I would say it's a beautiful, all the time. beautiful game to learn shape all the time. <laughs> just, you're gonna do like three and you can be dead because everyone's in the Well, I guess you know. Okay, so let's just say that there's seven lanes and the, and the field is 37 wide. Um, what? That's gonna be just over four meters each. Um, five. Sorry, five meters each. Just over five meters each. I mean, you can still do your lateralness. It's just not gonna mean anything. <laughs> When you have a defender between so you have so you have seven if i understand correctly you have seven players on the field you have four offensive players and three defensive players each yeah. in their own lane is that correct yeah. okay um sure yeah that's gonna be interesting um but, i mean the one thing that's definitely going to teach you is to like kind of defend properly i mean you still have to watch the person's hips to make sure that you're turning properly i mean that's the like fundamentals of cutting the only difference here is that if you look like you're going to beat someone off the first and second degree of separation and not the third. Um, yeah, I agree. You've got to turn away. But I mean, that's that's the perfect time to learn how to mark that cut properly and how to make that cut properly. I mean, if you don't cut hard, I you, agree. You, you're jogging towards the disc, the guy's going to beat you. And by doing that, you're stopping the next person in the next lane to be able to cut as well. Yeah. And defensively, this is great for getting used to having your head up. Um, because I mean, with every every time a disc moves, you're out of position, and uh, with a normal field, and in this instance, you're going to be a lot more out of position than you normally are, because your the area you can cover on the field is very different. Um, but having a head up is going to be huge, because you need to know where the disc is, and you need to know where the person is you're defending. Um, my concern is that you're going to need a crap load of discs to be able to set out the, the lanes, because um, it's well, it's 100 meters of lanes. Um, otherwise, that becomes you know, vague, mean, yeah, so, vague quickly. Oh, um, oh, I see what you're saying. Mm. And um, so I've used a similar, not quite to this length, but I've used a similar drill, um, which is good to teach people first degree of separation. So from standstill to get some kind of separation as the offensive player to get open and receive. And the other thing to get everyone on the disc to not get everyone make sure that everyone gets a lot of a lot of touches so moving from one side of the, the field with the disc all the way back um would be considered one completion so one score um that like keep this but a little more complicated than that mm -hmm. um and i can definitely see the advantages um and if or when we get a full field i'm definitely gonna try this it's, it's, it's oh, yeah, I mean even even if we don't have the restrictions we have now. Oh yeah, I mean, hundred percent. I was going to say that as well. I feel like this is this is kind of something kind of perfect to teach your team to you know run hard, throw a shape because you can throw a shape around the defender. I mean, it's perfect to throw yeah. it straight through. This is also a leading, perfect for leading passes. I mean, if you can put it in front of someone two lanes ahead, 
um, with some time. I'm just going to set up perfectly for them. Um, so yeah, and you can complicate it as well a little bit by uh, have the players who are set up in the seven lanes, the offensive players being cutters, and then having handlers in the backfield space and the handlers can run wherever. So then it's a horizontal stack, defense or offense without um, obviously a defender down. But if you want to work on a piston style horizontal stack, this would be great. Or if you want to isolate the handler set and make sure the handlers get a lot of reps, so they get to this, there's not uh, an open immediately. So they need to work on their handler resets a lot. I think that could be could be quite useful too. Yeah, again, we'll we'll link this in the, the bio so that people can read it if they want. I mean, definitely take it forward with your teams if you want to give it a try. Send us videos, let us know what you think. Um, but yeah, I mean, moving, moving away from that, moving away from the news, which is <laughs> quite a lot of news and quite a lot of like kind of just things between it. Uh, let's talk about us. I mean, what what qualifies us to do this? To kind of so yeah. So normally we'll have or we're going to try to have a, a guest section, um, which will be after the news slash rant about what's going on in the frisbee world, um, which is the segment we're in right now. But considering that this is the first episode, we thought it'd be useful um, just to like let's say just give you some background info. Okay? How we fit into uh, the frisbee world, um, what our backgrounds are, and that kind of thing. So, seeing as you switched this back to me, I'll start with this question though. Um, how did all the, how did the frisbee thing start for you? So, I started when I was fourteen. Uh, always loved sports. So, when someone at my church was just like, "Hey, come throw a frisbee with us on the beach," uh, we called it ultimate. I was definitely I definitely said yes, um, and just threw that fun enough with it straight away. I mean, back then we didn't have an league or anything. We just played beach ultimate uh, once a week, and we used to do this thing called cockroaching. I have no idea why they called it that, but it was basically that you just stand, oh, in, the you just stand in the end zone and you shout, throw it to me, <laughs> and people would do it. <laughs> so that's how I started playing ultimate. Um, and Soon from then, Islam kind of started a league, and you know I just kind of grew with the system that they had. Until one day, I was very into ultimate. I want you to know that I was very, very into ultimate, and I decided to come to Cape Town for a one-day hat tournament that UCT hosts called Springfest, um, which is an indoor tournament. And my dad agreed, and we came to Cape Town um, to play that tournament, and and Casco that stage, one of the leadership of Chile, um, invited me to come play Rocktober with him. And that's kind of how my ultimate career kind of shot off and they started teaching me kind of more of what I know. Um, and, you know, once I finished school, I was going to go to a university in Port Elizabeth until UCT accepted me and I said no <laughs> to the university in PE because I wanted to play ultimate. So then I moved to Cape Town and played for UCT since then. Uh, stopped playing for UCT about two years ago and started coaching um, Chili Heat. So kind of did the full circle there. I mean, they taught me how to play and now I give them advice on how to play. What year did you come down to Cape Town for the end of the tournament? Oh, 2011. I think it was, yes. Because I played Rocktober yeah. for them in 2011, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I remember seeing this kid 
at the tournament. <laughs> um, I'm like, who's this guy? And then I heard he came all the way from East London. I'm like, that is some commitment because <laughs> people weren't quite that committed back then here in South Africa. Um, um, and obviously, I mean, if he continues playing, he's going to be a great player. Um, I'd say I'm with him. I'll play something. But yeah, for me, it's a bit of a complicated story because um, I started playing a bit later on. I was about 25 when I started playing. I played football, which is soccer, um, for the University of Stellenbosch. Um, my sister and I both played for their um, for their teams, and it's a very cosmopolitan team, very international team um, for both of the men's and the women's one. Um, my sister made a friend on the um, the women's team who is American, and she played frisbee in Cape Town and um, got my sister involved. So I was exposed to frisbee um, with my sister playing a few years before I started playing and obviously ridiculed it as not a real sport. Um, told it to throw a frisbee on the beach while I played proper sport in football. Um, and in 2010, I was looking for a way to keep fit during the football off season um, and heard that Ultimate was a very inviting community, which it is. Um, and um, you run a lot, which you do, uh, especially if you don't know what you're doing, which none of us did back then. Uh, we still played barefoot back then, actually. Um, and the bug bit really hard. And you know, a decade later, um, still as crazy about the sport as ever. Um, yeah, Dylan and I actually played um, on Chile together before he went to ECT. So he would, while he was in East London, he would join the Antwesco team, which is Chile, um, or was just Chile back then. Chile has split into two teams since then. Um, so we played October together in 2013, which is that crazy hot year at Pirates. Um, I do remember that. Yeah, that was, I think we finished fourth. The only time anyone ran during that tournament was the exhibition game because it was at night. Because um, it was so hot and at altitude, which in Cape Town is at the coast. So for us to go up the altitude is challenging enough, but when it's that hot and the field is that dead, no one's laying out, no one's running. Um, just sunburned and tired, but uh, I, um, a lot of, I remember, a lot of plays that. Um, yeah, and I remember the, the opens game or tournament we played with the same club at um, in Durban in 2014 quite well. Um, because as I, I was looking for, for pictures for, for a video intro, a lot of them, um, which I could potentially use was from that tournament, and one of them was still on the disc. This was back when I was still a cutter, breaking his defender around, full, full of it backhand around the defender, um, and all I had to do was jog him to the break side and score. Um, I was, you said yourself, quite a high bar there. Chunk, um, <laughs> I'm happy to see you maintain. Well, this is why I learned the Harley's flick. You know, I don't know if far on the backhand. Just you know. <laughs> I remember still teaching you reset cuts that tournament. Oh yeah, and then then uh, I took that back to East London and told all of them recent cats. <laughs> <laughs> back then we just used to run like crazy and be like, throw me the first week. <laughs> we didn't know what was going on. Um, and we had some weird, weird things. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, Flip, I really enjoyed those tournaments back when I was playing Chile. Except I remember playing a mixed tournament with Chile. It was my first 
think it was my second tournament. Or was it wasn't my first round tournament? Anyway, it was in Durban. Um, and back in those days, you know, I wasn't wasn't great. I didn't really know how to do proper cuts. Um, so we're playing the donkeys. I think in the semi-final. Um, and I sat the whole match, and I just I didn't care because I got to watch everyone play. Um, but yeah, that was that was starting for me. Back in the day, Chili used to make me hold the bench for them. I would keep it warm, you know. What team was this? I, this is I know it. I, there's actually pictures of it, but I don't know where it is. Um, uh, it was a it was a team with skeleton on it. Um, Julian, I can't remember where. It, I just know it was in Durban. Um, yeah, so that was 2014 Open Open Nationals. No, there was another one. There was a there was an October in Durban before that. Um, I don't October. Think, I don't think you won that team. Um, so that must have been 2011. Um, yeah, Julian definitely. would not have been on that team though. Okay, maybe maybe if, when I said Julian, I meant to say Julia, but then I just added an N. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was too late for me to correct, but now I guess. Okay. Just. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, we, we've been playing for a long time, um, but why, why are we doing this? Why make a podcast? Um, other than me just sending so, saying, let's make a podcast. So, yeah, well, that obviously initiated it. Um, Don came up with this great idea. He did a lot of market research, uh, regarding a podcast of, I don't know how long it took you, a few minutes, maybe. Um, he's very efficient. Um, he'd make um, young Jamie on on Joe Rogan's podcast look bad. Um, so, for us, being a small community, we are South African and we are mostly based in Cape Town. Um, for us, I think it'd be interesting for our local community to be exposed to uh, a format, um, a podcast format, so a longer form where we discuss. Um, what's happening in the world, what's happening on the world's teams, where, where we're involved in our club teams and that kind of thing, and having engaging and interesting interviews with local players, international coaches and players, and people of influence in the community, because um, that is the bar we're setting. But at the same time, I think it would be really interesting for um, individuals from larger um, ultimate communities across the world to hear about what it's like to be a South African ultimate player. What's it like to be part of a community of 450-ish people, which is tiny. Um, and we do field 16 teams at um, at nationals in the mixed division. But what's it like being such a small community and still and being very far away from everything and having a currency which you know, is what 18 to the euro or 16 to the euro. I haven't checked this exchanges this week because I'm on leave. Um, but having all of those challenges and then still going towards and being competitive and how we go about recruiting and how we go about um, continuity and sustainability when it comes to um, our community and the growth of our community, not just competitively, but um, how do we double the size of our community to 900 or 1,000 in the next few years? Because that's, in our opinion, it's going to benefit everyone. Um, that's pretty much, in my opinion, where, where this yeah. is coming from. What do you think, though? No, I mean, I definitely agree. There's, there isn't much content in terms of alternate made, made in South Africa. Um, I would say there's almost none. I mean, occasionally there's photographers that come watch things. And I know that a few 
kind of nationals have been recorded. But there's there's nothing ready to look back to see what we've done and where we're going, um, as well as just hearing things from around South Africa. I mean, there's many people that just have no idea what's happening in the province that isn't theirs, and basically in the team that isn't theirs, they don't know what's happening. But we're just hoping to bring a little bit more of that, you know, kind of make more of one South African element, and then also just to give people knowledge of what's happening outside of South Africa. Um, and hopefully we benefit through that and people can kind of get this kiss, um, which we have as excitement, um, to kind of just um, want to play more and really want to do more. Um, and yeah, this is kind of the first form of that. It's, it's quite a, a simple thing to reach many people. I agree 100%. I mean, the ultimate as a sport is quite interesting for many reasons, but off the field is the international community doesn't feel very international when, when you're mixing. When you had a, a massive tournament or international tournament, um, it's just frisbee players. People are still, um, there's still parity, there's still relatability and that kind of thing, which maybe will be lost when it turns professional one day uh, when the sport is all grown up. But um, this point in time, there's, there's definitely um, a lot of connections still, and um, we want and we can, I think, through this platform, show that to our local community, amongst other things, and um, engage with our international one because um, we, you guys, will be seeing us at world championships and um, international tournaments, and we're looking forward to catching up with you guys when we get there. Mm. So, I think we have a little bit more time to do some quick fire questions. Um, cool. um, I'll shoot some your way, you shoot some my way, and then we. Recorded, um, we call it there. So, I mean, random questions. Here we go. What's your favorite throw? <laughs> I'm so bad at this. Um, I suppose there's two at this moment, um, and this is not quick fire at all. Which is, <laughs> I love the forehand outside in dagger, um, which is just such a lazy throw. You just ping it into a space, um, then higher lazy. Um, inside break backhand, which I do love. Um, yeah, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. I change, you I change how I mark people. I mean, I change how I mark you. I just put my left hand up. <laughs> so I'm like, no, left. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'd probably, I, I, if, I'm, if you're going to choose two, I have to choose two. It's either going to be the lower release flick, because mm. I can get there really quick. Um, and then I like throwing blades. I really like throwing my, my flick blade. Um, it's a bit difficult because they're a little bit more difficult to catch. <laughs> um, so I was hoping to utilize them you know, kind of on the world stage where everyone is, you know, constantly has that ability to bring down any throw. Um, but yeah, that, that flick is just so quick that you know you can get it into a space and get it to a free player kind of easily. And then you know that then inside break, uh, just I love going for the break side. It works. You know when it works and when. Um, cool. Who's your? Who was your favorite player? Or like, who inspired you back in the day? I mean, you've been playing for ten years. None of these are gonna have short answers. Um, <laughs> so, my, I suppose my frisbee catalyst was in twenty thirteen when I go when I went to Windmill and um, participated at the Rise Up Camp was hosted there, um, and. Got to be got the opportunity to be coached by quite a few different players. Um, 
from soccer in particular, and there was a player from Double Wide and so on. Um, and Sam Harkness, who I got to work or coach this for one of the days, and the other day was by Ben Wiggins, which was insane in itself. But um, Sam Harkness was definitely in the beginning a huge influence for me. Um, just he's a great dude. He's a really cool person um, and a very good player. And you know, he was D-line handler for soccer for a long time. Um, and I just admire him greatly for that. But um, suppose once once that it got cracked, um, it's been Kid Gibson and Masiro Matsuno. Those are the two that have, have always that have always gravitated back to no matter who else came onto the stage. I admire both of them massively, especially Masahiro, um, who's obviously in a more isolated part of the world frisbee-wise and just does incredible things. And his big match temperament is off the scale if they were a scale for that kind of thing. Um, at the final in WGC 2016 against Team USA in the men's division, it's a fantastic showcase of what he can do on the biggest stage. And um, yeah, really wish to play against him someday. Um, I mean, just to have that on it. Yeah, I'm completely in awe with what those two do. Yeah, do you? I mean, just looking at um, Gibson, like he was on the race race as well. So, I mean, can you get any bigger than that? Like, for some <laughs> TV star, basically. Um, yeah. I ran up to him actually at Worlds and I was like, hey, I saw you on TV. <laughs> you got to play against that, though. So. No, he wasn't very entertaining, though, when I said that. <laughs> But yeah, um, there is, so, okay, I'll, I'll start with who the person is. The person is Mac Taylor, um, and I wish I could tell mm-hmm. you why, but I just gravitated to him when I was in, like, you know, grade eight and started playing Ultimate. I used to love Revolver, he played for them, and he was just a huge yeah. player on their team, um, you know, heart-wise and how we played. Um, and yeah, I mean, I chose my number after that and everything, so... That's how I got the number four. Um, hmm. But yeah, I mean, that was the player that I looked up to. Um, I don't really know who anymore. Uh, I mean, I struggled to find as much time to watch international. He plays He plays for a mixed team now, right? I think he does. Um, I know he played... One of the bigger ones. I know he played USA Mixed at WG. Yeah. Um, but he's not really a man I would want to mark size <laughs> um, yeah he's, he's really tall um, yeah um yeah, he's at one of the big ones um i don't think it's dragon thrust but you know one of the big uh, one of the big mixed teams in the u.s but those teams constantly change who's at the top I mean, it's dragon thrust um look it's mixtape uh wild card like all of them just like completely mm-hmm. swap who's winning uh, i know there's one i'm missing I just can't remember their names. Um, they won um, UCC. And AMP as well. There we go. It's AMP. There we go. Um, Team Fern played for. Pardon? Fern played for AMP, didn't she? I actually have no idea. <laughs> she played with them for one season, I think, or a couple of seasons. So, last question and a section that I think we should potentially do going forward. It's kind of like a banter question. So. You know, I put this out to anyone that watches to send us questions that, that you think are just the most ridiculous. And here's a here's an example for you. Kone, does the color of the cleat make you run quicker? And if so, which color is it? 
That's an interesting question. Um, so this starts with the colors of cleats I've had. Black, white, blue, red, orange. Um, because we had green, um, puma green. I've had a lot of cleats. Um, I destroyed them pretty quickly. Um, I suppose it depends on how comfortable you feel in them. I mean, if, if you... Aesthetic is a big part of our sport. You just need to look at the fashion of what we have. You know, our, our, our shorts are baggy, which has not been in fashion since the 90s. Um, and um, we obviously spend a lot of time in the sun, which also forces us to wear longer stuff and so on, um, especially in South Africa where it is very hot in summer. Um, so at the moment, I have three pairs of cleats. Um, two of them are black and the other one's set as blue and I suppose the black ones are better, but it's because of the cleat pattern, not the color. <laughs> what do you think, Bill? I mean, I'm, color thinking, is the I'm thinking back to my cleats and which ones, you know, I'm thinking, you know, the more it went with my outfit, the quicker I was, you know. Really? Yeah, obviously that's how it was. example. <laughs> okay. give, I used to have a pair of bright orange cleats. Then I used to wear them with bright orange pants and like a red shirt. I would say then I was. <laughs> and you're still alive. It's the fashion police and the rest. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to wear like like long socks with colors as well. And the one day someone walked up to me and I was like, Billy, you have to wear skaters. And that was the last day I wore that. Evidently, <laughs> that person hasn't walked up to John McCoy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, no. Or Dr. John McCoy. I would say no. Your, the color of the cleats has absolutely nothing to do with how quickly you run. Um, but that's just my controversial opinion. You can, you can disagree if you want. Let's mix this, mix the spot a little more. Um, what if you had cleats that had LED lights in them that could, like when you land you know, through kinetic energy, they would light up. Would that make you faster? Mostly because it would distract your defender? I think it might make you appear faster. I mean, they make the flash look fast by putting lines behind it, and that would technically do something like that, especially if someone took a picture of it with like a low shutter speed. <laughs> so yes. Just be like panoramic. It would make you appear faster, but I don't think it would make you faster. But hey, <laughs> that's just my theory. I know nothing about science. Yeah, this is definitely science. It's been peer reviewed. Uh, We'll yeah. we'll post a we'll post our article and some um, some science journal quite soon, so you look out for that. Yeah, with my terrible English, I wrote it. You know, it was great. Um, Grammarly. Cornapia reviewed it. Um, we have a few PhDs in our ultimate community. They can also peer review if they want. I guess it's like half our community of doctorate people. Well, it's because our okay, programs have so many, so much ultimate that I guess they just get introduced to it somehow. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think that's what we have time for today. So, not punctual. <laughs> yeah, now that you know that cleats, <laughs> the color of your cleats make you quicker. On that bombshell, my last curse is not working. Um, yeah, that is it. We we managed to get through the first one. Um, we managed to not let the rounds get out of control. Anyway, 
Um, happy holidays. Please stay safe. Um, we are just like you waiting with bated breath to see what the developments are. Um, look after yourselves and your loved ones. And we hope to see you guys on the field really soon. And we'll keep you up to date with developments. One of those hot topics being WBC. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Thank you.